You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. In this episode, we're going to answer the question, can someone who is a Christian lose his or her salvation? So once somebody comes to know Jesus and they start a relationship with him, which means that they are destined eternally to spend it with him in heaven, can that status change once it's happened? It's an important question, probably a question you've thought about as you lay awake and stare at your ceiling at night. Is there something that we can do that would cause us to lose our status with Jesus? Welcome in to Church Unplugged. Welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at Christ Community Chapel. I've got with me today Joe Coffey, our lead pastor, and Zach Wyrock, a member of our leadership team. Our question today is, uh, is it possible for a Christian, so somebody who has begun a relationship with Jesus and who is whose eternal destination is to be saved with him in heaven, is it possible for somebody to lose their salvation? Can that happen? Is there something you can do, something that can change in your status? Yeah, the starting point for this question, I think, is w- w- what actually saves a person? Because how you answer that, I think, is going to determine how you answer this question. So to the degree, uh, I always use this analogy. I don't know if anyone remembers this. There was a movie a while back called Hitch. It had Will Smith in it, Kevin James. And, and uh, Will Smith plays this guy who helps kind of loser guys get uh, attractive girlfriends. And uh, there's a scene where he's teaching Kevin James how to kiss. And he, and he tells him, look, you lean in 90, but they got to come the other 10. And he tells him, don't, don't go all the way. And there's a humorous scene where he, you know, he leans in and Kevin James plants one on him and he goes, no, 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 no. You never go the full 100. Right. So that's how a lot of people think about salvation. Jesus, uh, lives in my place, dies in my place, uh, raises from the dead. He comes 90 degrees or 90% to me. And then I've got to go the other 10. And, and so we both contribute to my salvation, um, but uh, we don't contribute to the same degree. And I think when you start having a model where you contribute to your salvation, you're going to have to ask, what happens if I no longer contribute? Or what happens if I didn't contribute enough? And so I think that's the starting point. And I think the, the Bible is clear that though we definitely must believe and must confess, Jesus actually accomplishes everything that's necessary for our salvation. He does go the full 100, and that's going to have implications. Yeah, one of the, uh, I agree with all of that. One of the images in the Bible that I uh, love is the image of adoption, that um, God says that because of what Jesus has done, then we are adopted into the family. And I, I was just uh, privileged in the midst of this uh, coronavirus, I was privileged to get on a Zoom call and watch an adoption become official uh, with a judge and all that. And one of the most moving parts uh, is that uh, the, the judge asked the, the couple that were adopting, uh, do you recognize uh, what you are doing? Do you recognize the import of this? You can never undo this. And then the judge ended up saying, okay, now I'm, here's the, the certificate. You see, it's not sealed yet. I'm going to seal it. And then she turned around and then there was this big sound. And then she turned back around and showed them the sealed certificate. And, and she said, this child is now yours and it will never not be yours. 
Uh, that's the image that we have in the uh, in the epistles of what it means when you are saved. And so when you're saved, you are, and you know, even uses the word being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. There's something you can't undo. Once, like uh, my kids, uh, they are always uh, coffees. They may not act the way I want a coffee to act, but it doesn't really matter. They are mine, and they can never become unmine. And that's the way the Bible talks about it. Now, there are some other questions, you know, with that. You started us out by saying uh, that somebody who was saved, you know, that the other thing is that there are people who think they're saved that aren't saved. <laughs> so I think we, we should probably talk about that, too, unless you have something to add to No, I'll just to add to that. I think that seal analogy is so good. I think that's such a cool story with the adoption. It's a great one because what it comes down to is the strength of the seal, right? Is that what it's, right. That's what it's really about is, is that seal really what it says it is? You know, I think of Ephesians 2 when Paul says, you know, you were— you were children of wrath, you were sons of disobedience. And then he says in verse four, uh, but God who is rich in mercy. And then he takes you through this. He made you alive. He raised you with Christ. He seated you in the heavenly places. You are his workmanship. And what Paul is doing is he's saying like, look, God has done this. God is doing this. And and then you you know, you know almost want to put those verses down and go, okay, now how could I undo this? Well, you couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't make dead what God has made alive. You couldn't uh, throw down out of heaven what God has raised up to heaven. You couldn't, right? And so, again, it's the strength and, of who's doing the work and the work that's being done that matters. And the image that Paul uses there is one of just abundance. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, sure, God forgave us <clears throat> of all that we've done, but just barely. He barely had enough grace for that. But, you know, in those verses, it is his to show his surpassing mercy, his overwhelming grace that you could not uh, be disobedient enough to make him disown you. That cannot happen. So... You, Joe, you mentioned uh, people who think that they are saved, but they're not. And it kind of reminded me, I, I used to go to, you know, youth camp growing up and there were people who would come and speak. And I feel like their only job was to rattle uh, Christians who believe they're saved and help them to feel that they're not saved. They would use the passages where Jesus says, you know, depart, depart from me, you workers of evil. I never, I never knew you. And so... Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that dynamic. So for example, when I was in student ministry, at times I would interact with students who would want to say, how, I think I'm saved, but how do I know? Uh, so let's, what's the difference between somebody who, uh, is saved and somebody who thinks they're saved, but they're not, how, how would we discern that? Yeah, I, I think I would probably say in two ways, maybe one theological, one practical. I mean, Paul will say in Romans 10, if you confess with your with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you know, you will be saved. I think that that dual understanding of confession, confessing that he is Lord, which of course implies uh, he is Lord and I'm not, therefore I will turn away from my rebellion. I will be obedient to him. And then, of course, faith that he has lived and died and risen from the dead. If somebody were to say to me, uh, you know, I used to say, Jesus is Lord, I don't think that he is. I used to believe he rose from the dead. Now I don't. Then I would say, okay, we should talk about what happened here, right? Uh, so that's one. I think there's the, those are the theological categories for what do I need to affirm uh, to be a Christian. On the second hand, though, I think Jonathan Edwards, was uh, old theologian, was very helpful in talking about the appetites or the affections. 
that, that I think we tend to reduce it down to doing, Hey, I've done, I had a bad weekend, really moral, morally performing. So I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. Um, the problem with that is you get a passage like Romans seven, where the apostle Paul is saying the things I don't want to do, I do the right. things I, I, I do. I don't want to do what a wretched man that I am. And you think, well, okay, he, he had a bad weekend when he, when he wrote that. Right. Uh, but he's the apostle Paul. He, he keeps going. He doesn't say, therefore that's the end of this book. I, I'm not a Christian. No, he, he, he keeps going. But what Paul, the he buried in that, Hey, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do, I don't want to do what a wretched man that I am buried in that is this saying that I want Jesus, right? I want to follow Jesus. I, I, I haven't been, I'm not, I, I'm not as good as I, but I want to. And, and I, I think that's where I would say to someone, someone said, I think I used to be a Christian. I'm not sure. Did I lose it? What happened is I, I would ask them more about their present. Hey, in the present, are you confessing and believing? And do you want Jesus? I'm not asking you how you perform. Do you want Jesus? And I think, I think in absence of that, then I think you would want to talk to someone about what exactly they mean by used to be a Christian and now I'm not. Yeah. I think the language then becomes important because when they say I was a Christian or I know somebody who was a Christian, I would say, what does that mean? What do you mean you were a Christian? And I think then they tend to give an answer like, well, I prayed a prayer at youth camp. I went forward. Yeah, What's the book that's out? Quit, uh, quit asking Jesus Quit ask by JD Greer. Quit asking Jesus in your heart. I think maybe stop asking Jesus, quit asking something yeah. like that. Yeah. And that's his point, right? Yeah. Is, there's like, you don't do this 57 times because you had a bad weekend. Right. You just right. want to make sure it, it takes, it actually took this time. Yeah. Uh, another but I, always, I always think that, 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 what Zach is true, uh, it said is true that whenever I'm talking to somebody who is wondering that there are two things I want to find out. One is, uh, what they want to, what they want and what they don't want. Like if they are living away from, uh, from Jesus and away from what he wants and they are miserable, that's a good sign. That means that they yes. are missing Jesus whether they realize it or yes. not. And then there are other times where I think that's the, you know, what, one of my prayers that's a pretty consistent prayer is that I want, I want God to increase my desire for him. I want to want to more, right? Yeah. So uh, any, any place in someone's heart when they want to be close to God, when they want to know him uh, is a, is a, a sign that they have, what was dead inside of them has been made alive. Yeah. And that's what the way the Bible talks about it. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I, I, let me just, and, and I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, which I'm, I'm happy to have grown up in, but one of the shortcomings there was it, 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 anyone who showed any inclination towards Christianity was just led through a prayer. Right. And so then when you end up with, there's a whole generation of kids who who walk away, quit, air quotes, I'm doing air quotes, you can't tell, walk away from the faith. But they never really had faith to begin with, right? Uh, and is that their fault? Is that the Lord's fault? Or is that the church's fault for, you know, like I can give you an example from my own family. When my son, uh, Deacon, came to me the first time, he was eight or nine, and said, hey, I'm ready to be a Christian. You know, I asked him, I said, Deacon, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a video game designer, because of course he was eight. And I said, uh, okay, what if Jesus wants you to be a janitor? And I picked janitor just because I know my son, he doesn't like to clean. <laughs> so I knew he would say that. He, he thought about it for me. He goes, no, nope, I'm going to be a video, video game designer. And I said, okay, it seems like you really like the idea of Jesus as your savior. 
right? You like that idea. You don't really want him as Lord, right? Go back to Romans 10. If you get to confess him as Lord, it sounds like you don't want to give up control of your life. I don't think you're ready for Jesus. He came back six months later. We never really talked about that conversation again. He came back six months later and he said, okay, I'm ready to be a Christian. <laughs> and then he said, dad, even if Jesus wants me to be a pastor like you, right? <laughs> even, which I realize that's, lower, than a right? that's the yeah. lowest to him. He said, I'm ready. Now, now here's what I'm saying. If, if six months earlier I had said to Deacon, oh my goodness, great, let's pray right now, right? That would not have been genuine saving faith, right? I wouldn't have known it, but he would have had a category in his head to say, hey, Jesus, I love you, but don't touch my career trajectory. That's mine. Well, that's not what it means to, to come to Christ. So I would have rubber stamped something, and then he would have been 17 at a porch event here at CCC, and somebody would have said, hey, maybe you have called yourself a Christian, but you never really committed, and he would have said, oh my goodness, that's me, right? Well, that would have been my fault, unintentionally, but my fault for rubber stamping something. So I, I think we talk about losing your salvation. I think the Bible makes clear there are some who will seemingly profess faith, look like a Christian for a little while, but in the end, it, you know, as as the New Testament will say, they went out from among us because they were never really of us. And I think the church, sometimes in our eagerness to see somebody come to Christ, which is great, by the way, we we, we don't maybe let them run through the full process. We, we, we preempt them really getting their heads around what it actually means to follow Jesus. And then we create the problem years down the road. So kind of uh, speaking to the dynamics you were just uh, talking about, the concept I grew up in a tradition where the concept of rededication was a big thing. So, you know, when there's an invitation to receive the gospel, there was always there were always actually two. It was, yeah. hey, do you want to become a Christian for the first time? Or there was a call to say, hey, maybe uh, you are a Christian, but you've kind of gotten bored with it. Do you want to sort of rededicate your life and and get serious? What are your thoughts on on that as a concept? Do you feel like it has spiritual meaning? Um, I'd just like to hear more of what you have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing I would say um, is the the term rededication is not a New Testament term. Now, that doesn't mean it's bad. That, that that's not what I mean. I just mean. Nowhere in the Bible are you know are we being encouraged to push people to make a second decision or a third decision or a vow renewal of their you know commitment to Christ. So um, we want to be careful when that's true. But here's what I guess here's what I would say: if we mean that in rededication a person goes from hell to heaven, from enemy of God to child of God, then I have a problem with it because that's not rededication; that's salvation, right? If what we mean is that, hey, there's a power in moments of decision, there's a power in challenging. I mean, Joe, you and I are preachers. We we know there's a power to looking at someone and going, hey, today, today, what are you going to do with Jesus? Today, right here, right now, what are you going to do? And they say, someone, some of you are here, and you may need to say, you know what? I, I've, I've let my intensity lapse a little bit, and I'm going to rededicate myself. I'm going to get serious about Jesus again. Well, then... I'm all for that. Why would I be against that? So I don't know if that distinction makes sense or not, but that's kind of how I'd work through it. Yeah, no, I think it does. And I think it might be a, a just a, a difference in words. I like uh, kind of a reaffirmation. I think the gospel is something that people need to remind themselves of, to remind themselves of the of the wonder of the love of God and that it's worthy of following with all of our heart. I think, um, you know, there are different times in my life where I think there were times where I needed to, to say, I am, I am starting to, to wander away and I want to get closer. 
you know, however that is phrased. But I agree with Zach. If if we're talking about regeneration as uh, as step two of of salvation, like you get saved and then you get then at some point, and I I grew up in the same kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Except I went forward. Uh, I must have gone forward, you know, thirty times between the ages of six and nine because I just felt like I was always doing something that required me to be saved again. Uh, so I think we have to be careful of that. But I would want to say that I think two things are important here. One is to say that the gospel is that God has never lost his dedication to you. Right. So even if I were challenging people to get serious, to get to take it deeper, to go all in, right, then I would say, but you need to understand Jesus has never wavered from you. You know, as, as he says in the gospels, uh, all those the Father's given me, I haven't lost any, right? That he He has never let go of you. Um but the second thing is, I would say, just the parents of children, look, it is a great thing to want your kids to to have a relationship with Jesus, to be born again. You should want that. I know that you want that. You should pray for that. You should uh, point them to Jesus. Uh, but it is okay. It is okay to turn them away in the sense of saying, I think you need, I think we need to talk a little more. I think maybe there's some things you don't understand. I don't, now listen, I, I think people can come to Christ at all kinds of ages. So I don't want to put limits on God, and you know your own child. But it is actually better to tell your six-year-old to wait if at eight they will know for sure what they're doing, right? So if you have any sense of that, just just make sure they understand Jesus is always waiting for them. He's, he's always there. And have enough confidence that the, that the only reason your child is even asking these kinds of questions is because of the Holy Spirit. And trust that the same Holy Spirit will lead that process to conclusion. And so you don't have to force it. You don't have to cheat it. You don't have to manipulate it. Um, ask some good questions. Stimulate conversation. Give them room to process. Uh, and, and then I think you'll know when they, in fact, really do have it. And then spare yourself, potentially, a conversation a decade later about whether or not uh, they have lost it or need to rededicate or anything like that. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.